This episode of To The Last Drop is sponsored by the Listen Audio app, where you can stream all your favorite radio stations, catch up on the latest news and entertainment, and dive into captivating podcasts all in one app. That's Download Listen. That's L-I-S-T-N from the App Store or Google Play. The Listen Audio app, everywhere you are. It's time for To The Last Drop podcast with Liam Delcom and Brandon Nell. Welcome to To The Last Drop. I'm Liam Delcom and with me, as per usual, is Brendan Nell. Today, we have another special guest, uh, somebody who needs very little introduction, uh, recently announced retirement, although I suspect it's retirement not the way we think of it, but, you know, he's just taken a step back. I think he'll still be involved. Jakub Paper, welcome to our show. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Brendan. Nice to be here. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say we we won't get a red card for this one, but we're gonna we're gonna pepper Yaku with a couple of questions. We don't often get referees talking um, openly or being allowed to talk openly, I should say, um, and I think that's quite a pity. Uh, so I think the more we hear from refs, uh, it's the better. Yaku, mm. just uh, let's start with your your last game, the World Cup. That must have been an incredible disappointment for you, getting injured like that. I mean, you were hoping for a semi, I'm sure. Um, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose with the Springboks that day, you wouldn't have got the final, but um, at least the semi-final would have been great. Yeah, it's definitely a disappointment. And besides that, it's an embarrassment, you know, to walk off a rugby field injured. It's not as different when players get injured, they get subbed and, you know, it's a natural movement. But when a, when a, when a referee or an official take, gets taken off a match in the halfway it's uh, it's quite embarrassing, um, but it, it was a huge disappointment. You've you've worked a long time to get there, um, and like you said, at that, that point, obviously, we, we hoped that the Springboks would make the, make the final, but you didn't know for sure. They were playing France the next day, the host, uh, probably the tournament favourites uh, at that point. So at that point, we were working towards a final or to the best possible appointment. So it was it was a pretty big disappointment. However. I've been blessed um, over a long period and over a long career where I had um, appointments in, in large and, and big matches and test match series like blind series and, you know, final game days in, in Six Nations uh, more than three, four times. So um, I had that privilege. So it, it is a disappointment, but I'm still, as I sit back and look at it all, I'm still just uh, so grateful that rugby's been so good to me. Jaco, I recall bumping into you uh, at Gardenord uh, train station. Uh, you had, I think, visited the Springboks practice uh, earlier that day, and the disappointment on your face was palpable. Uh, you know, you obviously knew by then that you were not going to be involved deep into the tournament. But how long did it take you to recover from that injury? Um, it's actually taken quite a, quite a bit of time because um, as, I, as I recovered and tried to get back into training, then I had another setback. So it's a the same injury reoccurred. So it was not just the calf, it's that Achilles heel. So I don't have mm. medical terms, but there was a bit more damage than suspected. And um, it, it comes a long way. About this, At the beginning of the season, I had a fractured foot after uh, Australia, was it France, Australia? I started France in November. So that's 20, November 22. I had a fractured foot. So I was out six weeks on the same legs, you know, uh, same leg. So, Obviously, this must have had an impact. So as you come back, I uh, had a bit of a niggle on the on the Achilles and up, up the back of the lower leg. And that all just inflamed. And, and then I obviously pushed it too far. And then it, then it had a tear. And that, my friends say it's not possible. So it was a nine centimeter tear. But my friends in my leg, my, my calves are not even eight centimeters. So it can't be. 
This this is beginning to sound like a Jean de Villiers interview at World Cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jean, uh, captain has had a few unfortunate injuries at World Cups, hasn't he? Um, it's luckily my first injury at World Cup, but yeah, as they as mm. as you get older, as you get older, I think the body starts to tell you tell you a few things. Yaku, you've had some interesting World Cups um, as well. I mean, the previous one, you you paid a, a pretty heavy price for going stopping to take a photo with a fan. And uh, um, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone remembers that one, the the uh, Welsh and the French, and you'd given a red card, and and suddenly, which was to the rest of us a moment of a bit of banter, uh, turned into quite a storm around you at that stage. Yeah, that's uh, that's the ball of rugby, um, you know. Um, perception and uh, a snapshot in time it's not there's not there's no context to that photo what happened in the 10 minutes leading up to that you know so uh, it was actually quite uh, quite a few french fans uh, that's identified us we just got back from the stadium and we walked through the uh, near the fan village and a lot of fans and the fans stopped us and they had a good time with us they, they took photos with us and the french the french guys are obviously these guys have been on the beers since the morning and now it's, it's just early evening so they had a fantastic day and they're having fun and you had the French fans who took the photos and they did they all took these photos with me I didn't take photos you know I just stood there and then these Welsh Welsh lads uh, they saw they, they saw that and we probably took about 30 photos there um, even if, maybe even more um, with all of us that was in that match day team and the uh, and there was one lad you could, he's clearly had enough, more than enough to drink and he uh he was constantly giving me one of these, you know. So he was like, you know what people are like when they had a few beers. He was niggling me, and and just as I thought all the photos was taken, I gave him one back, you know. And that's that's the photo that's, that that uh, the world mm. saw. So it was, it was a silly moment, but can I blame anyone else? No, I can't. So what what have I learned from that is I've got to control that environment. If you, if you take the responsibility of being a referee or any any of those. Uh, you know, limelight uh, um, roles, then you've, you've got to be able to control those environments or maybe prevent getting into those environments. So we, there was nothing sinister. Um, it, was a, it was a few moments of laughter by everyone and and it was taken out of context. And, yeah, uh, obviously, I'd re- it, it had repercussions. The reason why I asked ask that is because I actually wanted to lead into maybe a, a more deeper point is, this last World Cup and before this last World Cup, the last couple of years, we've had a number of discussions around referees um, and, and social media and things that go on and what fans do and sort of target referees and that sort of thing. Uh, it almost feels to me that the whole environment around referees is so, so serious. Um, and I mean, you and I have had discussions like this on the odd occasion when we bump into each other, but... It feels like you guys are so, in such a bubble that you can't talk out. You nobody, and you almost feels like you don't get protective. And, and in the meantime, you've got this outside bubble of the public who are just targeting you. So that, so that's why I say it's in, in a moment like that to me, which was actually a fun moment, which I think 99% of people probably would have taken the right way. Mm. Um, yeah, it almost, and almost sort of, it was almost like a pretext for where we've got to now. Where fans just unfortunately with social media just go overboard and and I feel sorry for referees because you you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, look at that. that is the problem with rugby. Everybody expects everybody wants to blame someone when they lose, so it's easiest you know to not blame our team or ourselves and blame the referee. And so, that's why referees go into that bubble because you one misstep or one step out of context, 
then you get blamed. So that's why referees seem very media shy. And that's why referees seem to have a lot of privacy around um, what we do um, and the seriousness that you that you perceive. But inside our bubble, where we live, we really we really have good times. Um, rugby really um, provides good times for referees. And just as World Cup again, we had a massive good um, team spirit and we stayed in a, in a, in a hotel together for, and what was it, eight weeks, nine weeks. Uh, and it's lads that knows each other for a long time, so good mates, you know each other's families. Um, so, we, but, but we are very careful because we know how quickly that gets dragged out of uh, um, out of context. And uh, yeah, that's that's unfortunately the, the way the world works at this point. So, um, I think what often happens is when when someone meets a Yaku or a Wayne um, or whoever, let's say uh, a Ben O'Keefe, then I often get. Yeah, the comedy. He's actually a good oak. He's he's, he's actually a nice bloke. <laughs> he's smiles. He, he makes he makes a joke. You know, he's he's actually a fun loving guy. Um, because they only perceive what they see on television, where you've got to be serious and straight face, you know, and seem balanced, um, really balanced and controlled and calm. So I think once the lads actually get to know the the real Yaku Wayne Ben, whoever it is, I just realised we're just normal normal dudes that love rugby. Um, we're actually the ultimate fans. That's why we're prepared to take the, you know, take, take the um, battering. Um, and it's a privilege to be on that field, so close to the best players in the world, on close, so close to that action in the middle of those crowds. So we're actually just normal people having a hell of a time on the rugby field and trying to be as fair as we can. Jakub, do you think, given uh, where the game is at and the sort of noise around referees and you you would, I mean, you mentioned it now, you know, you guys have to be in a bubble and sort of almost be protected. Um, Do you think the environment that has been created, um, is it conducive for attracting new people to that fraternity? Is Is it more difficult to get referees given the way things are? I think at the moment they're struggling to get new aspiring referees or ex-players to turn into referees because of the negatively geared environment. Um, I do think, I don't have the answer exactly how, but I do think it could be built better. Um, referees could be sold to the world better. <coughs> yeah. If they, if they allow us to, or not allow us, if they present us to the world and send us into in, out to the media so the people actually get, get to know us, I think there'll be a different perception and um, mm. that also bring risk. And at this point they, they, you know, that, that also bring risk. <laughs> so that's, that's I, I don't have the, you know, the best answer, but I know for a fact that we, we have to start, start telling the good stories, not just, not just, mm. um, not just the stories where people are threatened mm. and their families are threatened and social media. And stuff. I can tell you a million stories. There's really good stories, stories that, I've got mates that's got money, but they can't buy these moments. You know, I've got mates that that got a lot of money. They they just can't get into those venues um, with the teams and the players. You know, where we have those Six Nations post match black tie dinners in the most extraordinary, um, you know, event uh, uh, event halls and and so on. And the last one in, in France was in, in the Opera. I mean, the, that opera house, it's, it's unbelievable. You would never be able to get inside that place on your own unless you are some sort of dignitary. But we get in there. We uh, That's all those extras that you get into the, uh, being a referee in this world. I, I met the Queen. I met the Queen in 2015 in the Buckingham Palace, in the ballroom. Um, these are the good stories that we have to tell to attract referees. Because 
yeah, there's a lot of focus on the negative stuff and the errors. But we don't make we, we don't make more errors than the players. Um, uh, but ours are highlighted because it's easy. Uh, it's easy to you know because when I drop the ball, I don't have a teammate behind me that scoop up the ball and then make the pass and then we still score. Um, that's the difference. Um, our, our, our errors stop the game more. Um, but anyway, so I just feel there's a lot of focus on the negative stuff and the negative stuff is a small part. There's so many good things. I enjoyed my time with rugby thoroughly. I take your point about uh, presenting a sort of a different face to referees and, and sort of uh, maybe world rugby should make that, that effort because it's, I suppose from a, a fan's perspective, and when I say fans, I put that in inverted commas as well, when you on social media and you want to abuse somebody, I suppose it's a lot easier if you if your perception of that person is it's just a robot, it's not a person that I, you know that I will I can relate to or engage with. Um, so yeah, that's that's a very good point you make about um, uh, putting you guys in a you know in a different light, I suppose, or in a better light uh, publicly. And look, we've, I've been to Australia and New Zealand more than hundred times. Um, I don't, I don't know many jobs that take your business class to to Australia and New Zealand um, more than a hundred times, and we go to some fantastic places like the Coogee beaches and Bondi beaches and um, Gold Coast and um, Queenstown in New Zealand, and you know, so yeah, there's a lot of hard work, but there's so many so many good things, and I think if we if that if, if, if aspiring referees or retiring players who can become referees, know all these good things, then they, they'll have a different, mm-hmm. different perception on all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to say, I was going to re- reference a story in 2015, um, another ref, uh, not from South Africa, who I know quite well and you know quite well as well. Um, and I saw on his Facebook feed um, when I was working uh, that you guys did a camp with the SAS, I think it was, uh, so like almost like a boot camp. Yeah. But it looked like a hell of a lot of fun with, with the photos. And to me, it was just great seeing the refs in a different environment, seeing them laughing, joking. And so we published one of them, uh, one or two of the photos. And there was a huge outcry. And the, the poor ref got, uh, he really got into trouble for it, um, which I thought was just so unnecessary. And yeah, you know, sometimes I just feel, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we get to speak to you guys off record. We, we see you guys away from, from, um, the field. And we, we tend to know that, but I think world rugby can do a, a whole lot more in just, yeah, humanizing you guys. And, and I think that's one of the, the, the shortcomings. And I don't know, I don't know if there's any scope in the future, because as you say, now it keeps on going on the negative. Uh, and referees do need to be pre- protected, but there should be a happy medium somewhere. And to be fair, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, SA Rugby makes the same mistake. I mean, yeah. you, you, I mean, you don't even bother asking for an interview with the referee because you'll get turned out. Well, I, want, I actually want to say Yaku, another little anecdote, which you'll you'll probably enjoy. Um, <laughs> I remember there was a Lions Bulls game. Talking about just probably 10, 10, 12 years ago at least, when Vili Rus was still refereeing, and and there was some. Very typical game. There was some crucial decision that went against the Bulls, and they went for the Lions, and 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 we asked for the ref. We thought, well, let's give it a try. And, and next thing, Vili came up, and Marius was still with him. The, Marius was still very young in, in the refing ranks. There, I think he was one of the ARs. And they came up with their laptops, and they made fools of us at the at the press conference because they had all the replays and all. And yeah, we were ready to grill them. And they had all the replays ready to show us how wrong they were. So, yeah, that to me was always just something I always remember as, as a reminder of how the emotion in the moment tends to make you think one thing. But if you sit down there with cold, hard facts, you actually see the other side of the story. And I think that's something that never really gets told for referees. 
Yeah, and look, it, it, I think SA Rugby have considered they've been pioneers. They, they've actually been the one union that at one point had Wimple Dobson and and the referee attend the, the post match, you know, for, for for interview like the one you referenced. But then there's other risk to it. Um, sometimes if you send an inexperienced referee, referees his second Curry Cup game out there, and you've got all these experienced journalists sitting there, they're going to hang him out to dry, you know. So if, if he says the wrong thing, um, maybe when you get older, you know a bit better, you can navigate your way through there. But it's it's always a risk um, sending someone out there. But, but I think we should. Um, it, but then the guys need to be prepared and trained. Just like players, they get training on how to deal with media. We need to train the referees how to deal with media, how to deal with certain things. So um, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think the future, if we want to, if we want to humanise, as you guys said, the referee, then then that that'll be one of the things that could be done. But there's also we had an initiative, um, and you guys will soon know about this. There's a, a documentary that they started making around about Six Nations, and they followed some of us through the year and all our referee uh, workshops and camps. So there'll be a documentary out on Netflix, I believe, um, soon. Yeah. Yeah. Which which followed us for for a long period. And it's obviously only going to be 130 minutes or 120 minutes, but there's a lot of a lot of insight into the inside of the world and how, how good how good we uh, uh, had it, how good a team spirit we had at this World Cup and how good the good mates we had and families in there. My girls joined and then Wayne Barnes' family joined and then... You know, Paul Williams' family joined, and and then how they come in and out of that environment. So I think that'll already go a long way to just mm-hmm. show the people like, these these guys are good guys, man. They they they're not cheats. They make mistakes. Um, no mm-hmm. no more than the players. Um, but yeah, um, we can go a long way to actually show that the referees are human. Yeah, you make a good point about uh, demystifying uh, the world of referees. There's, there's no doubt that there's a, there's a need for that. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To The Last Drop podcast. Do you have a favourite team to referee in terms of uh, not just your rapport with the players, but also, you know, sort of flow of the game and the sort of quality of game that, that you're able to put out there? Um, you know, one specific team or country, but it's it's always good to referee a team that's had success for a while because they seem they seem to deal with um, referees better, you know, because they've had a good run. They don't feel like they are, you know, referees are always against them, that sort of thing, because they've had a good success run. So it might have been the All Blacks at some point, and then it's Ireland, and then maybe it's France and so on. I've never, I never had the chance to referee the Springboks, but very good because that's my team. Good luck to the others if I refree them. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, just a joke. But I, I guess success, successful teams over time, and that doesn't mean they don't never lose when you referee them. It just means they've they're organised and they've got leaders that know how to engage with the referee, and it's effective. If you need change on the field, they have systems to actually comply again and, and make that behaviour change. So, so often, it's just often a team that's got a good, mo- you know, good. The few wins behind their belt and confidence is, is probably teams that's easier to work with, but it's not one specific mm. team. No. Mm. Yeah, I was I was going to say also you know, some referees have obviously made their name with with little quirks and 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 little sayings like it's not soccer and uh, <laughs> things like that. You were never one of those guys. You were quite serious on the field a lot of the time. Um, what any any good moments you remember? If you think back, some 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 favourites. Yeah, I've had some really good times on a rugby field. Um, maybe I, 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 at least I smiled, you know, so I, you could see I enjoy it. But for me, yes, I, I feel like I'm a, 
my role, my position on the field is I'm a servant of the game and the rock stars are the players. So uh, they should get the, the limelights and the, and the quotes and the, those sort of things. Um, but I, want, I remember one specific day, I think it was Bull Sharks in a Curry Cup final. We had the halfback of, of the Sharks. He was really, um, might, have, might have been Jaden Hendricks in his first year. He was really cocky and, you know, he was giving it to the older blokes like Dwayne from Yellen and, and guys that I've been refereeing for 10, 12 years. And I just thought to myself, hang on, this is going to turn ugly. These guys are going to upend you soon. And it's going to be my problem. And he kept going and kept going. And I said, and I turned around to him and I said, mate, this is your first Curry Cup final. You've got a lot of advice with old Oaks over here. So just keep quiet, man. And then that went, I was unlike me, but it made, it made the headlines. <laughs> there was also a particular climax to that game involving him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's not, that's not my trademark. Um, I've had one or two moments. Um, I remember John de Villiers running over me in 2011, I think it was, uh, Storm of Sharks in Newlands. And Stormers had this move, they short line out to the back, off the top, hit the middle field with front or low, if I remember correct. Then they and then they always come back blind. And then they play someone like Dwayne or someone, uh, could have been more Skull Berger, someone with Kudan. Then he turns around and they play behind his back, kind of move with backs all crossing there and trying to create some confusion. But this, so I know my place is on the inside. I just got to protect myself being there. And this was the first week in 20 weeks where that the variation where someone, John de Villiers, was trying this blind angle in the inside. And when Dwayne threw that ball, I saw that ball coming to me and I could hear the footsteps coming from the back. <laughs> and, and the Springboard captain smashed me, but he ran over me. I, was, I didn't have the ball, the whole ball spot uh, patched by then, but you could see, you could see my. Uh, my ball spot just developing there. You could see that at the bottom of my boots. Then you could see my ball spot and bottom of my boots <laughs> roll three times. And my, and my whistle got stuck in the, the turf of Newlands. So I tried to jump up and stop the game and I kept playing. I couldn't blow the whistle because it was full of clay. And eventually they stopped. <laughs> As they stopped. And Yanni Duplessis, I remember from a Sharks, helped me up. And John DeVillis was still on the floor and I didn't help him up. And I, and I asked him, John, are you okay? You know, kind of if, as if I hit him. And, and that's one of the few moments where <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good laugh. It was a good laugh. Um, and then the next day, um, I was on, I just had, we, we just come from World Under 20 tournament, um, World Cup Under 20s. And we all opened Facebook accounts for ourselves there, um, all, all the lads. Um, so I put on my, I think, I, I don't have it because of this story um, anymore. And then I, the next day at the airport in Cape Town, I put on my, because my mates were giving me, you know, shit like mad um, because I got run over like that. Um, and I put on the, on my, I think it's your, you call it your wall or something, and I put in my status there. So it's good news for, uh, for the Springbok team, the South African captain has just been released from hospital after the massive beat by Jakob Weber on him. And, uh, and obviously a lot of banter and my mates got stuck in. And the next day, someone quoted that in the newspaper. Um, they always say, who said what on Twitter or Facebook? And uh, and I got called into a disciplinary by SA Rugby uh, because I this disrespectful, <laughs> typical referees can't, can't do it. And then I just deleted that Facebook account and I've never, ever had social media ever again because I knew I'm just mm. set up because if I do something, it'll be something like that for fun and then it will be, again, out of context and I'll pay the price. So yeah, I took my medicine and threw and deleted my Facebook account. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Eh? <laughs> Have you opened any new accounts in the last week or so? <laughs> Not yet. 
<laughs> TikTok, here he comes. Yeah, TikTok dancing <laughs> reds. Yes, interesting. Uh, I do. I, I do have. I think that cooling I, time Snapchat on TikTok because I got I got young girls, so they want to be have a Snapchat you know, account. So they use all my data, but you will never see me on there. They probably do it on my name somewhere in the world. <laughs> Yeah, you probably have to give us an idea of what you what you're up to now uh, and what do you intend doing. Um, because as I said earlier, I mean retirement is you know that's just a, a word. Um, so yeah, what are you going to be up to? Yeah, I think you picked up well in it. I, I said I step. It's a good time to step away or step back from the game. Um, I don't think I'm done with rugby. I'm rugby born and bred. Blood, it's in my blood. I grew up next to a rugby field with a dad that played and coached. So. I, I love rugby. Um, so whatever way it is, whether I coach under 16 team at Great College or uh, school in Dufontaine, uh, where I live, or whether I look after two referees, um, you know, that we're trying to get up to the world rugby stage, they, there'll be something. I've got a few options, but I said I'm going to give myself a few, yeah, just a month or two, just to get get that space between rugby and just have, give myself a month or two off and then, then I'll decide um, I'd I, I'll always be available for SRAC if they if they want me to consult with some of the referees and and, and or with the teams. But in Maine, I've got I, I have a business. Um, I've been involved in Nashua um, as an office automation supplier since 2014. So I've always in the background run my business. Um, we've, I've taken the major step uh, recently of buying up my partners. So. I'm in control of the business. So that all aligned with the retirement. So, you know, it gives you more context. So the retirement is not just uh, the injury. The injury is one part of it, but I can, I, I, I could always fight back from the injury. It's not a problem. But if you, if you bring the business and the family, my girls are growing up, um, 11 year old and a, and a seven year old. So they need a dad. Um, I can't be overseas for six or five months of the year. Um, just get to that time where my wife needs more support. Um, she's been great. Um, you know, golf. She she deserves a medal for all the time. She had to wipe all the tears and you know sort out all the stuff and um, uh, with the dad overseas and I had the you know the fun over there. Um, so yeah, it's just just good timing for me to, to step away. But I can't see myself staying away from this game. I just love it too much. It's actually funny often when you when one is away from home where things uh, especially when it's a longish tour where things go pear-shaped at home, there's always a, a geezer that bursts uh, or a swimming pool that floods and then you yeah. are obviously uh, thousands of kilometers away. It never happens when you're alone. It's normally when you touch down at Ether and you switch yeah. on your data. Your phone goes like, yeah. <laughs> bam, bam. <laughs> I was going to say, Yaku, you probably yeah. need that month or two, your wife and your kids, just to get used to you again because they're not used to you. Yeah, reintroduce so yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, uh, I'm suspecting they like they like it now. That it'll be a couple of weeks or three or four weeks and then they'll tell me, yeah, get out of this place again. It's too much <laughs> rules here now. So uh, why don't you just get to it again? I was going to yeah. say, uh, on the refing side, I was going to ask you, I mean, obviously one of the things you came in at almost the back end of the, almost the golden generation for South African referees with the Andre Watson, Jonathan Kaplan, Mark Lawrence, Topper, all those guys. Uh, and since then, I mean, if you look now, almost the, the dominant faction in refereeing is the, the English refs at the moment. So, um, uh, and oh. it just, it doesn't seem like South Africa has too many refs coming through as such, um, I don't know. I don't know. You've been in the inside. Do you see that changing, or do you, do you see more? Is it is it more a, a fault of the 
the environment at the moment that referees, obviously it's tough to recruit referees? Oh, look, um, the fact that England's now got a lot of referees, uh, the Premiership has a really good plan to look after referees and they contracted about 11 or 12 referees. And that's what and they they just in that cycle now where those mm. guys have become seniors. Um, before that, it was France. So France had four referees at the previous World Cup. Um, we, we're supposed to fight back and get him back in there. Um, do we have the talent and do we have the, the knowledge of the referee? I think we do. I think we've got some incredible young referees like uh, Mornay Ferrara who's coming through now. We've got a Griffin Colby. You can, you can name them. There's Christopher Allison. Um, I'm, I'm speaking about the guys who haven't done the Super Rugby's or the URCs that really mm. come into uh, come into the fold now. Can they become the test referees that we want? Yes, I think so. I think with the right support and, uh, you, you know, a referee have to look after himself a lot of the times, but if they still need that setup, but they still need that mm. some person that leads them through the first few um, storms, you know, to, to, to keep, keep navigate them through those storms so they stay out straight and not, you know, start knee-jerking, etc. So, I think we have the right guys. I know Maurice Jonker for a fact is going to get involved in coaching as well in referees. So we've got, if, if myself and Maurice maybe play a role there, we've got, we've got the right people that can help them. But um, it doesn't happen overnight and fans get upset or impatient. Um, so if a young referee, the risk is if you put a young referee in and he, and he um, makes a few mistakes, then people want one out of there and fire and fat and find his match fee and etc etc so sometimes it takes too long to get that referee there because we want to limit the risk and and see that he's ready but I was lucky Mark Lawrence broke his nose in a car accident so they had to put me in a curry cup game the next day so they had no I had they had no option so luckily I survived Um, then um, a season later it was super rugby I think 2008 then Philly Ruiz broke his ankle in in a match in Samoa I think and then he had to fly back for a Super Rugby game. So he couldn't. So I, I got my first Super Rugby game. So you need a call and then you need to survive. Um, but refereeing takes a bit of time in the cockpit to genuinely settle. Yeah. There's one there's one ref in particular I'm thinking of. I'm not going to mention name here, but sometimes the, the pressure is also too much for certain refs as well. I mean, we're all human. So And there's one ref that was coming through, very promising young ref, and then obviously had some some personal problems that also took him out of the game as well. Um I was going uh, my question yeah. is though um they say uh, I was going to ask you, you you don't know exactly where you're going to be involved but they say all all failed refs become TMOs. Uh that's the joke at least. <laughs> <laughs> will you will we see you as a <laughs> TMO? <laughs> yes, the Marius Jonkers case that's really true. <laughs> I'd love him to hear this. Um no, he's he's a he's an exceptional guy. Um, exceptional knowledge of rugby and a, and a good guy for for a refereeing group. But I'm not going to be a TMO. You, uh, I'm I'm done. I I always said the day I'm done, I'm done. On the, if I'm and what I'll do is I'll be in the background. I'm happy to coach. I'm happy to help. But my days my days are done. If 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 I become a TMO now, then it defeats the purpose. Then I can still referee. Um, I want to be more home more and I want to spend more time with my family. I want to be more involved in my business. So DMO means 40 weekends away from home again um, in a year. So that that defies the purpose of, of what I'm trying to achieve. But I tell you what, it's probably that the refereeing is tough. Um, they always say scrum refereeing is tough. I think with the likes of the Mike Crons and Don Hemans that 
that's helping and coaching referees it's become a bit more clear to us and the teams what, what we need to referee the toughest part to referee is the mall why not mall because it's got so many moving parts mm. it's not there's six, often there's 16 people in there and and you know uh, 16 pe- people mean 32 feet and it means either of those feet can be tripped and uh, you know or, or, or those uh, it's, it's just such so many moving parts up there and down here but even that is not as tough as DMO. TMOing is so tough because you could sit there for 60 minutes, 65 minutes, and suddenly there's a spike of high-impact high incidents and you have to be in feel in a good feel with the game. What does the game need now? Um, take, take Tom Foley, for instance, in the World Cup final. He cancelled the try. Everybody can see the knock. But the, uh, the, I suspect there's probably the losing team um, then uh, charged him with World Rugby for going outside the protocol. So did we expect him to close his eyes and not see that knock-on, yeah. um, which is which is about three seconds out of protocol, and then let, let the wrong result happen? So they've got they, – I mean, he did what everybody saw live. He fixed it, and now it's three mm-hmm. seconds or two seconds out of protocol, and now he, he ran the risk of being dropped um, for the next window because of that. And he, he did the right thing, but not the right protocol thing. So they've got – I'd say DMO's got the tough, toughest job at the moment in rugby. Yeah. Um, you do know at some point though you're gonna probably end up um i know you said you want to spend time at home but uh you're probably going to end up in the super sports studios uh next to a, a screen and some moving parts and pointing <laughs> to the things that may or may not have happened maybe i can have a crack at some of the coaches who's given me stick in the media the last <laughs> exactly and point out there where their teams have come up short no look if even if, if, if that's an option where I can make a contribution to rugby um, and maybe inform public better, maybe that's something we can explore. Um, but like I said, I'm going to give it a few a few months and let's see. I've had a few chats with a few different uh, teams and or uh, SA Rugby and Bull Rugby. So there's a few things that we're considering, but I'm just going to give it a bit of time and just get clarity in my mind. What's the best thing for now? Yeah, I've got one more question or one more rugby-related question to ask you. Um and I suppose it's one of those questions that, you know, you would probably get asked in a bar, um, you know, whether you're in Paris or whether you're in London or Edinburgh or wherever. Um, but if there was a, a law that you could change and make rugby better, what would it be? Yeah, well, I've, 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 we've considered when, and we constantly, when we sit, sit in our workshops, we try and work out which of these laws will improve the game. Um and when you change the laws, you don't want to change the fabric of the, the essence of rugby because rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes. So if you take away the scrum and the scrum power, you take away, you know, the oxen chairs and you take away the Trevor and Yonkarnis out of the game, you change, you change the, you'll change the game completely. Um, those are also the guys that they may have the scrum strength, but they are also the guys where the outside backs maybe later in the game can get, you know, space around them when they tire down and, and et cetera. So I'm not one of those who says the scrum is a big problem. I think coaching the scrum is a big problem because they expect referees to fix the scrum in 80 minutes, which I've been trying for a three-month three preseason. So I think if coaches take that responsibility. So a lot of the law stuff can be fixed by coaches to coach and positively in terms of the laws. Um, however, I also understand that if, let's say, for instance, Rassi had a problem and, and the last uh, before the final and he didn't have a, a good enough loose set, then they will have to go tricks to survive this game, you know. So you also have to then do something because you don't. You're not just going to roll over and accept uh, a loss. 
So I, I do understand that side of the of, of the coin, but I don't think it's scrum. A lot of people feel mall is the is the problem. I don't I don't think that's it. It's part of rugby. I think um, we the big thing for is me is the mall fair as it is. As if it's set up correctly, if, if you if you listen to the coaches, so if you listen to the attacking and defending coaches, if it's set up properly, then it's fair because um, you just need to. When they come down, you need direct access to the guy, access to the guy that catches the ball. Then you can hit him backwards, or you can sack him, tackle him, and then you have a chance to stop that. If they are allowed to shift that ball behind another another wall and that sort of thing, then it becomes really hard, and they get momentum, and then it leads to either tries or yellow cards because it's cynically dropped, perceived as cynically dropped uh, or taken down. So yeah, so the big thing for, with malls is um, first things first, you got to set it up properly. And that's that's you would, you would have seen the referees attempt to, to, to do a lot of obstruction penalties at setup. Ball comes down and backlift in the back. They try and because they try and fix that uh, that setup so it's fair. So I've, I've thought about it. Maybe maybe if there's a law that halfbacks is, are not allowed to talk, maybe that's a great. That'd be a great. <laughs> a great How are you going to get that right? So. <laughs> okay, that's one you've um, lost. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I think for me. Um, I, I like these laws where we create space. So I don't know if everybody understands the 50-22 law, why it's there. It means that if teams defend with their wings up, so they leave less space at the front, then teams can kick in there and get the ball back. So yeah, it's, it's risk and reward. Otherwise, they drop their wings and they hang back for the ball. Then there's space to pass and play in there. So all those 50-22 laws are designed to create space. So for me, the one law that I would love – and I think it will have an immediate impact on the game. It's not one that people at home would probably perceive as much. But in the kicking game, when they kick downtown, like France did, did with their fullbacks, when they do the long kick, and the players in front just stand there. They hold their ground. And Dupont then runs forward and he goes and parks 10 meters away from the receiver. Those guys obviously take away because the guy that catches it, if he runs five meters or he passes it, all those blokes outside of 10 meters are on side. So they eat up 40 meters of the pitch. So for me, the one that I immediately fix, if, if someone behind you kicked, you have to retire to him until he, he's run past you. That'll open mm. up space for Kurt Lawrence, for Cheslin Colby, whoever we've got, the uh, you know the, the Chalans and the guys that got the fancy seat, Damien Willemson. Immediately those guys would have, when they look up, there'll be space, they can play towards it, and then people can play off them as, as you target forwards and so on. I think that'll have an immediate impact. But at this level, the guys are so well-conditioned and um, so smart around these things. They just kick down long, trap the team there, and wall up, and then they have to kick back. So that, that then becomes a ding-dong or, or mm. high ball, and we, we create a contest yeah. in there. So I think if we can open up that 30, 40 meters for the, for this, the guys with a with good feet and the speed um, uh, to, to build up steam there and play off each other, I think we will, we will have a lot more momentum on the attack side and a lot less kicking because it'll be there'd be high risk to kick in those space into into those guys' throats. Um, so that's one thing I think I would immediately change, is open up that space on the field. I would say for me, it'd be the Caterpillar Rucks. Uh, they're the ugliest looking things on the rugby field, to be very honest. So, but I know why yeah, teams do that. So. You just got to remember, guys like myself and Wayne is 40 plus, so we need some place to rest. So the Caterpillar Rucks gave us, a, gave us a good break to catch our breath. Yeah, obviously, this as as I told you before you came on, the, this is also a bit of a wine podcast. So now, now we're going to ask you to dish some dirt. I'm not going to ask you just for your 
preference when you open a bottle uh, or whatever you <laughs> if 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 you're being you from Bloemfontein, so it might be that other wine, the Brandewine. Um, but uh, you know, if 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 your what's your preference, and and maybe dish some dirt about who's the biggest wine drinker amongst you? Oh, who's the, yeah, who's the thirstiest? Oh gee, uh, I tell you what, that Wayne Barnes has got hollow legs, man. He can uh, he can drink a wine, <laughs> and, and he's a, he's an all rounder. It doesn't matter if it's red or it's or, or it's a white or a rosé. He, he'll drink them all as long as you keep pouring. Um, now Wayne's 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 a, he likes uh, fine dinners and fine wines, so it's always a good treat when he books a dinner in Paris. You always know it's an expensive dinner, but it's going to be good. Um, so I'd say Wayne, but over time, obviously, he's built up the experience to, and the capacity to drink a lot of wine. Um, but a good, very good company as well over the wines. Um, myself, I, I'm not too fussy. In the winter, obviously, in the freestyle, he'll, he'll prefer a red uh, in front of a, a bonfire or a, a kachel. Um, so I would, I would love to have a Lavenier single block Pinotage. That, that is my absolute favorite. I, I always go and mm. visit them. It's one of the, uh, it's a boutique wine. So that'll be in the winter, be my favorite. And then in the winter, they, uh, sorry, in the summer, in the free state, uh, it, it, red wine tastes like lava if you drink it during the day. So I prefer something that you can chill down and even, you know, people frown upon it. But in the, in the free state, you have your Chenin uh, Blanc, your Sauvignon Blanc with a block of ice, you know, just to chill it down. And again, lavanier has got, fantastic wines and I, I often go and visit them so that's my preference I definitely if I have a chance love it here go visit them it's just outside of Stellenbosch it's, it's good I didn't ask him who can't handle the wine eh? <laughs> yeah um, he, he went straight for you know for the top of the tree which is I suppose understandable but uh, yeah we'll, we'll we'll take what we can get well, I suppose if I wanted to be a bit flippant, I could say if, if you look at some of the guys reffing decisions uh, uh, we can we can tell who uh, <laughs> no, let's go there. Let's go. Some of us, it looks like some of us have wine in the in the change room, doesn't it? <laughs> well, no, I would say some of the French, maybe, but not not all of you guys. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay. Thanks for your time, man. It's been great. I, I think we could probably speak for hours, though, and hopefully we're going to get you on again at some point. You can come educate mm. us a bit on some rugby matters. Uh, and yeah, thanks for joining us and enjoy retirement. And I hope your family doesn't get too uh, tired of you too quickly. Yeah, for now I think the girls appreciate me being home, but we'll uh, we'll see how it goes, and then I'll 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 start a new hobby, maybe start playing battle or something. <laughs> just just get out of home. <laughs> yeah, this was wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks for the for taking the time. Anytime, and thanks for your support through the, through the years. I appreciate it. <laughs> and we must take Wayne Barnes on on that on, on that one question, eh? <laughs> And Maurice Juncker. I must remember Maurice as well. Yeah, now there's there's somebody who loves his red wine. <laughs> Yeah, he loves the red one. Anyway, we'll see. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us, Yaku. And uh, that's been To The Last Drop. Uh, We'll chat to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.